Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Reske. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. So you get people in cohorts, you you get groups of leaders together who want to be disciple makers, and then you go over, I know the gospel is one of the subjects you go over. What are some of the other subjects that you talk about? Yeah, let me give you the framework for the cohorts. First of all, cohort is five to 10 leaders. Uh, we meet monthly for 10 months. Uh, sometimes we'll have a retreat on the front end where we'll merge sessions one and two. There is an option to do that on the back end too. So you could kind of, um, you know, bracket your experience with, with two uh, retreats, but you have flexibility to kind of do whatever your group needs. When you meet for an hour each month, you meet for three hours and you discuss, there are three books that you uh, go through, the discipleship gospel, uh, conversion and discipleship. You can't have one without the other. And those first two are by Bill Hall and the third one by uh, Brandon Cook, um, uh, How to Live and Love Like Jesus. And uh, the, f- the first two books are more what we would call upstream sources. And Brandon's book is more downstream. And what I mean by that, and it really kind of goes to your uh, answering your question. If, if you had a, a stream, uh, a mountain stream, if, if you can imagine a mountain stream and it's it's gotten polluted. It's, it's, it's got, you know, toxic water in it. What, what a lot of people would do is jump right into the middle of the stream, get a bucket and begin to try to throw the contaminated water out. The only thing you're going to do is wear yourself out and you're not going to change anything. <laughs> so, uh, the, because the problem's not midstream, the problem is upstream. It's, it's the gospel. Uh, in other words, it's what scripture teaches the gospel is. And if you get that wrong, you're going to have those problems midstream and downstream. Uh, so we spend the first couple of, uh, and, and, you know, that's the, the, it's exactly what happens in, in, in the gospel. Uh, you know, pastors are constantly thinking, well, if I could just get them into a small group or uh, get them to memorize scripture or do any of these, you know, you know many wonderful things that Christians do to grow. But it's almost like they resist it. And I remember someone once said to me, uh, it's not a discipleship problem, it's a salvation problem we have. In other words, we've, we've fostered a false gospel, and so now people think they've become a Christian simply because they've said a prayer. And so what you have to do is to go back upstream and really understand the gospel in its fullness. And so we spend the first uh, two months actually rebuilding the gospel from the, the book of Mark, uh, we do some fun exercises where you go out and you ask pe- your friends and, you know, people in your in your churches, you know, what what do you think the gospel is? And, you know, you're, you just you're flabbergasted by people that you've been, you know, teaching for years and they come up with, you know, some really bad answers. Um, so you begin to understand, OK, a problem well, deci- uh, well defined is is well is half solved. A problem well defined is half solved. And so once you once you understand the problem, now you can address that. And then once you get that clarity around that, you come down, you start, you know, defining a disciple. 
another word that Christians throw around. It's part of our vocabulary, but people mean all kinds of different things by what, what a disciple is or what discipleship is. The average understanding in the American church is that discipleship is getting existing believers together uh, into a Bible study and deepening their scriptural knowledge. Uh, now, we're all for that. Um, uh, anybody that knows me knows that I'm big on the Bible. Uh, but, you know, Jesus himself said in Matthew 4.19, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If you think about that sentence, it has three components. It says a disciple is someone who is, one, following Jesus, two, is being changed by Jesus, and three, is on mission for Jesus. And I could go through this uh, at, a, at a speed that you're going to miss this, so I would say to your listeners, so listen closely. If, if, if Jesus just gave us what it means to be his follower, then we can't say that we're following him if we're, not if we're not fishing for men, if we're not on mission with Jesus. So another helpful, I think, uh, paradigm shift that the, that the curriculum is able to uh, take on is to help uh, change the end game. The end game is not just to have eternal Bible studies with Christians. Uh, it is rather to equip them to be able to reproduce and multiply other Christ followers. Now, that's a whole lot harder. Uh, but once you get clarity around your, your mission, your vision, what you're trying to do, uh, it really does help the other things, which as you come down through now uh, sessions uh, eight, um, three through uh, ten, uh, well, I guess it'd be four through ten, Sorry about that. Uh, you're starting to work through the Holy Spirit and his role in transformation. And then you're getting into the spiritual disciplines and the church, the pastorate, and so forth. So the, the curriculum is designed to go start upstream uh, with dealing with the gospel and what, it, what a disciple really is. And then coming downstream and beginning helping people to get into the ways and means of Jesus. Okay, so how did Jesus do that? One of the most interesting exercises we do is to have, have our, our, our participants go through one of the Gospels. They pick a Gospel, they go through it chapter by chapter, and, and try to identify uh, insights or lessons on discipleship from each chapter. And... Um, you know, I, we, we did this in our church, and then, then we went back and actually did what we call an integrated series. Oh, and, and then the last part I would probably say about the cohort and understanding it is that as you go uh, and you take what you're learning and you put it into a discipleship plan for your unique ministry setting. So when you get out, it's not just, a, yeah, I went to another conference. There's the binder on the shelf. <laughs> you know, I've got a plan that I've spent 10 months developing. And in my case, I kept doing it because we went into the year of COVID. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were able to implement that plan at our church uh, during COVID. And it was remarkable in how it helped us to keep a, a, a disconnected um, congregation connected uh, by focusing on that theme with kind of laser focus. Uh, we, we would do an integrated study on the Gospel of Mark where we went through Mark chapter by chapter and talked about, uh, we called it uh, 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 rediscovering discipleship. And uh, we went through the Gospel of Mark eight months 
uh, or eight sessions in the fall, eight sessions in the spring. So we stretched it out over a year so that you, you could not avoid it. Um, we, we taught through it in the, uh, from the pulpit. And then in our small groups, uh, we would uh, have questions to help them process the same message um, and to talk to each other. And most of this was going on by Zoom. And uh, then at a personal level, so if you think of a triangle with, you know, here's your, you know, your preaching is at the, at the tip of the pyramid. And then at the two bases are small groups and personal devotions. For personal devotions, we went through uh, two of those books that we go through in the, in the uh, cohort. Uh, and uh, in five to 10 minute little devotionals uh, every, every day. So if you were plugging in and engaging, uh, you know, you really got a good, uh, you know, you really got educated in discipleship over that time. Although what you realize is you never arrive at discipleship. You never graduate. It's, it's lifelong. And, uh, uh, but at least, you know, we got everybody's attention. We laid a great foundation. And so uh, it then as part of my plan, I, someone gave me some very wise advice. They said, be sure you've got something to do after you finish your integrated series. So after we did the series, about two months later, I had Bill Hall come in. It was actually the first, uh, I think, speak engagement he took on. We were always wondering, will we actually be able to do it live and in person? And uh, we had a uh, couple hundred uh, people there live, which was one of the first things that we can't, did coming out of COVID. And uh, I think we had 400 that were watching on live stream. So it was just a huge uh, success. And you know, a lot of other discipleship things today, our, our uh, men's ministry is going through, uh, you know, one of the concepts uh, called the four chairs of discipleship, disciple making. Um, you know, it's kind of spreading into all the little nooks and crannies of the church. Uh, we're training our leadership community in some of these concepts. So we're, we're trying to create a culture of discipleship. And, you know, they trained me well to not expect that this is going to happen in a, you know, in a few months or even a year or two, it's probably a good three to five year, um, you know, initiative to, to begin to even make some inroads and, and we're seeing inroads, but we still have a long way to go, but we're very excited about it because we feel like I, I've never seen anything that resonates as deeply with people who are concerned about these issues. They immediately begin to pick up on it and go, that's what I've been missing. You know, one of the things I, I hear you saying, Hollis, that that is so crucial, this really is a, an extreme culture shift within the church. Yeah. The evangelical church is, is so into teaching, which is good stuff, uh, so into um, education, if you will. We, we're an educated church as opposed to a discipling church. Yeah. And, and what, what I see so, so much happen when that, that shift is made, the reason people get excited is because they're not just learning things, but as they apply it and move it to other people's lives, um, they don't become bored. They, they be, they're challenged. They, they, they begin to stretch their faith. They're, they're praying differently. They're beginning to say, what is going on in this guy's life that I need to walk with him through? And um, I, I've even heard many pastors say in recent years that Bible studies are the greatest detriment to discipleship yeah. <laughs> because they become dead ended. There's no purpose other than learning some more facts. 
Yeah, right. and it's it's not the Great Commission either. Uh, it, it, it doesn't say go make disciples teaching them. There's no period there. It says teach them to obey. Yes. So Dallas Willard used to say that's the great omission of the Great Commission. We've been satisfied just to teach people endless Bible studies when Jesus is committed to teaching people to obey. And one of the ways we, we do that practically in the Bonhoeffer Project is, uh, and, and this phrase has uh, gone viral now. It's it's uh, you know it's 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 it, it's all over. Uh, is that we're not into information based discipleship. We're into obedience based discipleship. So, for instance, in your small groups, uh, or you know, let's say you know, mom asks Johnny after Sunday school, "Hey, what did you learn today in Sunday school?" Well, the very question, you know, betrays the the bias that it's what did you learn not what did you obey what are you going to apply so in our small groups we always ask the question what did you do this last week um, to uh, apply jesus's teaching or the teaching of the new testament what are you going to do this next week to apply or obey what scripture asks and it's amazing how that simple question can just kind of flip the the small group uh, and it, it shifts it into a different paradigm that's obedience focused now rather than knowledge focused. Mm. Although, although, a, although, although you still find it learned a lot. Right, right. I love I love this. And I got all kinds of questions swirling about in my head. Um, one of the things I want to just share and, and get your thoughts on both you guys is uh, one of the issues I see is that we we teach that people come to know jesus by grace through faith it's a free gift but then when it comes to growing in the christian life it's all through hard work and effort it's all it's like works based we don't believe in works based salvation but we believe in works based sanctification and that's where i think that we we miss it that the gospel not only brings us to christ for our salvation but the gospel's key for our spiritual growth. So you talked about the spiritual disciplines. And to me, the shift is um, if you if you get it wrong, if you go with works-based sanctification, the spiritual disciplines are things that you have to do. You have to do this. You have to go to church. You have to read your Bible. You have to pray. The, the way I look at it, though, is, but if you get it right, if you understand that, um, you know, it's not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. Exactly. You get to do it because you're following Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, you want to know him more. So you want to go to church. You want to do Bible study. You know, you want to do those things. It just seems to me like so many people in our churches, even if the preaching is preaching um, the gospel, there people are just trying to work out their salvation through hard work and effort. I mean, Tom, do you before Tom, do you have any any thoughts on that? I, I think it's uh, Hollis, you might know, but I think it's Dallas Willard that had made the statement that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Yeah. And, and that really clarifies a lot. I both my wife and I have some Bible studies where uh, some of the people have really struggled with that, that any effort is legalism any effort takes me out out of the realm of faith and and yet i think of guys like jerry bridges who writes about this and he says 
hey, if you're a farmer, you got to get out and plant and cultivate and weed before you're going to have a harvest. But God is the one that brings the sunshine, causes it to germinate. <laughs> he said, you, you, you can't get away from effort and growth, <laughs> but, it's, but it's not earning. So, it, so it really is a mindset on how I view grace. Yeah, Dallas Willard also said that uh, the church is not only saved by grace, it's been paralyzed by grace. <laughs> and and it's, it's really, uh, it's kind of a reductionistic understanding of grace. Uh, again, what we do in one of the sessions in the Bonhoeffer Project is we go through the vocabulary of uh, salvation, uh, you know, all the key words. And you, you, kind, you kind of see it, um, you know, this, this uh, tendency to reduce a complex reality to something more simplistic. For instance, grace gets reduced uh, to the forensic aspect of it, which is you've been declared not guilty. And, and that's, I mean, I went back. I mean, I, I, when you said what, when you asked what mistakes did you make? After I attended this uh, first Bonhoeffer session, I went back and looked at a course that I taught called Starting Out in the Christian Life. And I use all my favorite illustrations on uh, justification and, you know, coming to Christ and so forth. And what shocked me was they all focused on the forensic aspect of the legal declaration. Now, grace in the New Testament is, is not just um, forgiveness, it's also empowerment. Uh, when, when Paul says, um, uh, for the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to pursue, you know, it's, it's uh, we, we've got, you know, lists of just all the action words uh, that, that, that show that, no, this is exactly what uh, was expected to flow out of a genuine conversion. And oftentimes what will happen is that, um, you know, kind of a, a prayer or a signing of a card or something gets substitute. And in a person's mind, they think they've made that decision. I, so anyway, you know, enough on the on the grace thing. But, you know, when you when you teach grace from the New Testament, it's much bigger than the way it's popularly been presented. If you yes. miss the empowerment aspect. Oh, you know, see, that's the that's part of the good news. You're going, oh my gosh, yes, and I can't live this kind of a life, but Christ can do it through me if I learn how to surrender my life to him and let him live his life through me. So when Paul says, I no longer live, it's Christ who lives in me, and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So, um, great, yeah, great. All, all these terms uh, are much bigger than we often teach them. And that's, yeah. where, that's where we get into a lot of our problems. And I, you know, I love uh, 2 Peter 3.18, I believe, where, where Peter says, grow in grace. Yes. And, yes. you know, he's saying that to believers, grow in grace. So we don't move beyond grace into, you know, uh, works. And I, and I appreciate what you said too, Tom, that, that it does take effort. But there's something about the default setting of, of our heart is so so much bent towards self-justification that we can come to Christ by grace, but then we have to like, you know, we have to prove ourselves, you know? And, um, and I, I think that that's, that, that's a big challenge. And I think your Bonhoeffer project addresses that. Okay. So in the, in the last few minutes we have together, tell me some stories about like men who've gone through this, 
and uh, how you've seen their lives change and maybe maybe your own personal story of you've 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 been sharing some personal examples, but um, like how what do you see the transformation and what gets you excited about like the future and seeing yeah. this it seems like the ministry as I was reading about it online is growing because it's growing through multiplication, which is the way you know second yeah. timothy two two uh Paul to Timothy, Timothy to reliable men and then to others. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, what's exciting to me, Greg, is that, you know, I, I just came back from a national uh, discipleship forum, 17 organizations from across navigators represented there, you know, some of the old traditional uh, discipleship organizations, some of the new ones like Bonhoeffer and others, but you get the sense that you are on the cusp of something that God is doing. You know, that great line by Blackaby, don't just go looking for something to do. Look for what God's already doing and then get in the midst of it. You go to a conference like this, you come back thinking, God's, God's stirring something up here. And, uh, you know, and I've seen it in my own experience when I went to that uh, first uh, Bonhoeffer breakout series. And it, it turned upside down the way I was sharing the gospel. And I was a uh, you know, I, I was looked at as a spiritual guru in our community, you know, a, a, a good Bible teacher. Uh, and yet I had to say, I've been complicit in this problem. You know, I have, I've been teaching kind of a partial gospel, what we call the forgiveness only gospel. Um, but I, to give you an example of how does this change? Well, first of all, I don't even ask people anymore, are they, are they Christians? I say, are you a Christ follower? So it's interesting. You get a pause <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you say that. Um, I, I started changing the way I uh, presented the gospel. I would talk more about the kingdom of God. Um, and this gets into, you know, more of the details of the, uh, of the cohort. But um, I, I began to realize that when Jesus first came on the scene, uh, he, he didn't, you know, he didn't talk about, you know, dying for people's sins. He talked about the, the gospel of God is at hand, and he went throughout all Judea, and, uh, you know, teaching uh, uh, the kingdom is at hand. Uh, repent, believe the gospel, and follow me. So I started to, uh, saying to people, you know, don't pray prayers, follow Jesus. Now, that sounds a little <laughs> much, and I, you know, I, I always qualify it, but I remember the first time I heard Bill Hull say this, and it, it just stuck with me because I, I'd grown up in a Christian culture in which we were always getting people to pray prayers. But, you know, as, as we would say, funny Steeler story, after we were coming back from one of those high school assemblies, um, Tenshi Oaken, the former broadcaster and an all, all pro for the Steelers, uh, we, we said, how many, how many made checks on their cards, meaning how many made, quote, decisions? And he said, he said we had uh, 571 de decisions, but there were three that were saved. <laughs> and everybody immediately just fell off their chairs in laughter because we all knew that that, you know, that that check mark did not indicate a true conversion. Um but I, I wasn't able to kind of frame it, articulate it until I, you know, until I went through my Bonhoeffer experience. And so now, uh, and this is what Bill, Bill, uh, Bill Hall said. He said, if you look at Luke 9, he said, Jesus turns to the crowds. And he said, notice he did not turn to the disciples. He turned to the crowds. And, and he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and 
follow me. For whoever wants to lose his life must uh, give it away. So, you know, he stopped and he made this very poignant point. Jesus was not talking to his disciples here. He was talking to the crowds. But how often have you ever heard an evangelistic message like, take up your cross and follow me? And I thought, you know, that's really true. We always sort of say, well, they're not ready for that yet. We've got to kind of hold that off. And that's what, of course, has created this tension uh, between decisions and discipleship. So, um, you know, I, I, I think I find myself just saying to people, you know, hey, in fact, this is Bill, Bill Hall line too. You know, follow Jesus and he'll teach you everything you need to know. Everybody always wants to know. I need to know more before I go out and witness or whatever. And, you know, Bill would say to them, and I think Jesus would say to him, just follow me. I'll teach you what you need to know. And I think if you talk to Tom and I, in our, in our common background with Athletes in Action and Campus Crusade, that's what happened to us. Uh, they didn't wait until we were theologically educated. Um, they just nudged us out into ministry, into sharing our faith. And that's what got us, you know, moving forward. Uh, because we were following Jesus, even though we were scared half out of our minds. So here's my last question. And this is for both you guys. What advice would you give a pastor of a church? Because um, you guys you guys understand the, the stress that a pastor is going is under, who really wants to make disciples, but he he finds himself just doing church. What what's one thing or or what's a couple things he could do differently to begin to make disciples in in his church? Because I think it is it. I think we, we have to have tremendous compassion towards these pastors. I think a lot of them have never experienced disciple making. Yeah. If they've never been discipled, then they don't know how to make other disciples. Yeah. And um, But do you have any words of advice you would give to a pastor who is just, you know, um, just trying to, trying to, you know, do church every week? Yeah, Tom, you want to take that one first? Yeah, I, one of the things that that I've found recently is is a conversation with a pastor to to ask him to to kind of share, dream out loud of what kind of an impact is it that you want to have in your church and your people's lives. I, I met with a businessman today who couldn't talk enough about his pastor, who had become his best friend, who mentored him, who this guy, without being asked to do it, is is asking, okay, now how do I find a guy to disciple? How do I lead my sons to Christ? And, and so he's he's been so impacted by the friendship of this pastor who has, uh, in the back of his mind, it's influencing a few people who will influence others. And, and I think a lot of pastors, in fact, I've heard a, a, a consultant of major churches say over breakfast about 10 years ago, he said to me, there's a movement on multi uh, or, or uh, mega church pastors that they're backing up from the pulpit saying, I've had a full church for a lot of years, but I've not let it, I've not left an impact. And they're backing up and looking for young men to mentor and disciple in ministry and an impact. And, and I, I, I think they realize I've been real busy, but I've not left a legacy of men and women who will have an impact when I'm gone. So I, I, for me, that's one of the things that has a pastor begin to un, unhook from his 
the things he loves to do in ministry that are comfortable to him. And he begins to wrestle with what is it the what is the impact I want to leave? Greg, I, I think you're asking a very perceptive question. Uh, I've, I've thought about it a lot. Um, I, I think in, in America, in our culture today, it's very, it is very difficult. There is, is an enormous pressure on pastors. And quite frankly, uh, by taking the road less traveled and not trying to stir things up, uh, they can do pretty well. Um, you know, they can live pretty comfortably. Um, and so what would I, what would I say to them? I, I think first I would identify with the tensions. I, I felt them myself. I would talk about my own uh, complicity in the problem over the years. And I would probably encourage them to read the uh, book by Metaxas that Tom referenced earlier on Bonhoeffer, because he showed the kind of moral courage uh, that pastors need today to take with their congregations and in their communities. Um, if, if we're going to be able to actually ignite this new reformation, this resurgence or renaissance of discipleship, it's going to take moral courage, more than just people going through cohorts, more than just people reading the books. They're going to have to uh, uh, have a come to Jesus moment and uh, you know find the moral courage that he can give them Mm. But once they do, I think they'll be glad they did. That's excellent. All right, guys. Well, if people want to learn more about your ministries, Tom, share uh, once again your website and maybe just share briefly what's on your website, what kind of resources people can find. And Our website is catapultministries.org. Uh, we basically use it as a as a um, a site where we can make available materials and perspectives or resources and perspectives. So there are two main areas there. We talk about influence, um, just like uh, we work with athletes to expand their influence because of their platform with Christ. Uh, we're doing the same thing now with businessmen, having them begin to look at what platform has God given them, what has He prepared them for, and and help them begin to think outside themselves and, and rather what God's called them to do. And then the other side is, uh, is working with disciplers. What kind of materials are available to help with discipleship or mentoring of guys that are going to become disciplers? Excellent. And Hollis, uh, um, thank you so much for your time tonight. Um, really appreciate what you shared um, so what can people do as a next step if they want to learn about the Bonhoeffer project? And Yeah, well, thank, thanks, Greg. It's been a pleasure to be on your podcast. Um, uh, you can go to uh, the bonhoefferproject.com and uh, you will see, uh, you know, all kinds of resources, books and so forth that are available. Uh, you'll see the cohorts there, the cohorts that are coming up. Uh, that you could possibly jump into. Uh, bear in mind that even if there's not a full group in your area, we, we have what are called hybrid groups where you have some people meeting in person and others meeting, uh, you know, on Zoom. Um, and uh, you can get the history of the Bonhoeffer Project and probably uh, anything else like that you need to know. Okay, great. Hey, bonus question for you, Hollis. Knowing what you know now, and I can tell how excited you are and how much you've like grown and kind of like 
focused in on like what was missing for so many years. How would it change your the devotions you would lead in a chaplaincy? Like, because I'm guessing, because I'm I would love to see both of your guys's. I would love to see a typical devotion you you led with with these athletes, and I'm I'm guessing that the devotion you would write today would be a lot different than the one you gave to Terry Bradshaw those years ago. And what would would it be a more of a call to discipleship, or what would it be different? Maybe maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. You know, uh, that's an interesting question. I I talked a lot about discipleship even during those days. The the problem was the lack of clarity around the gospel i i think was was becoming an obstacle um but i give a talk now um where i kind of go very quickly highlight the great commission and some key teaching points and then i go through my kind of biographical you know here's the early years in which i was just you know i got to be the chaplain with the steelers and do all these exciting things and it was kind of a romance and then the middle years when I became a church planner and I began to see the culture shift from, uh, you know, from wind, build, send to sit, soak, sour. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, and then the, you know, the senior years, uh, which, which started when I really stepped down from being senior pastor and be, began to focus, uh, you know, on this discipleship problem and, and the things that I learned and how that has shaped me. And that's what I would uh, share. Uh, the Steelers, because of their success, get, um, uh, you know, alumni gatherings every now and then. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping at some point, I was just thinking about this, and I mean, you know, it might be many years apart. So um, uh, I, I'd love to go back and have a chapel and say, I want to take you through the early years, the middle years, and the senior years, because most of these guys now, and I still am in touch with a lot of them. So I'm, you know, we're, we're talking about this stuff all the time, but there's a bunch of them that I haven't had a chance to see. It's always interesting, isn't it? To You know, when you stay in ministry um, and we've all been, I mean, I've been in ministry 30 plus years, you look back and you, you wish you had to, your, your wisdom now in those early days. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great. Tom, you have any final thoughts you want to share? Anything you want to share? No, I, I, I think it's um, what Hollis has said. Discipleship is a lifelong process. It's a, a thing we learn, learn for a lifetime. I, I've said to a couple of people recently, you know, the hard part about being older is you realize what you missed along the way. Yeah. But the exciting part, it's making more sense now. <laughs> and so, so there's a there's a there's a low point a high point to it and and uh, let's just keep going for it yeah thanks for listening to this episode of the gospel addict podcast feel free to contact us via email at gospel at gmail.com stay tuned for our next episode and remember on your worst days you're never beyond the reach of god's grace and on your best days you're never beyond the need of god's grace See you next time.